All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Thursday, which means it is time to dig deeper into the Psalms. I am Pastor Doug Minton, here with you this week as we get into the meaty Psalms, Psalm 50 and 51, where we ask God to judge our cleansed heart. But again, we think our heart being cleansed, we don't need judgment. But we'll see in a moment that that is not the case at all. So we look at Psalm 50, beginning with the superscription, a psalm of Asaph. This is the first time we've had Asaph. So who is Asaph? Well, he is one of the more prominent men who is given assignments by David when he is rearranging the courses of the priest and the Levites over the tabernacle worship. In 1 Chronicles 15, 17-19, Asaph was chosen as one of the singers who was in charge of sounding the brass cymbals. And in 1 Chronicles 16, 5, so the next chapter, he is promoted to be the chief singer in the temple choir. Now his exact duties as the chief singer are not recorded for us. He could have been the composer for new musical settings and text for psalms, such as Psalm 50 and then Psalms 73 through 83, which are all by him, or maybe he was the chief soloist. We don't know exactly what his role as the chief singer was, but his sons continued in the same roles as pointed out in 1 Chronicles 25, verses 1 and 2. All right, so that's Asaph. That's beginning to understand this psalm, but now let's look at the psalm itself. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving at his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. All right, there we have Psalm 50 in its entirety. We look back through many of the things that come through here, and we see things that echo over and over again. 
starting out in verse 1, from the rising of the sun to its setting. This comes to us in the service of prayer and preaching in the Lutheran service book. There, it's a direct, direct quote of Psalm 113.3, which is also echoed in Malachi 1.11, where from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord will be praised. And that's exactly what God says will happen, that all of creation will be brought together for judgment and all of creation from the rising of the sun in the east to its setting in the west will come before him and glorify him. We move on to verse 3 and we see that God cannot keep silent about sin. A consuming or devouring fire precedes him in judgment. We see this again in Isaiah 66, 16. In Amos chapter 7, verse 4, and then in 2 Peter 3, 7, fire is seen as the judgment of God and the devouring fire that takes up everything. Therefore, Paul also talks about in 1 Corinthians about the fire testing everything built upon the foundation of Christ. That which is burnt is done away with. That which is retained and purified through the fire, that moves on as a reward for everlasting life. And that's exactly what this judgment is. Those who are going to be devoured like stubble versus those who will be purified like gold or silver in the smelting pot. In verses 8 through 11, we see that God has never accepted sacrifices ex opere operato regardless of what our Roman Catholic theologians tell us. He commanded sacrifices so that we might remember our sins and come before him with repentance, that we might glorify him in the reception of absolution. In this month's confessional corner, we've seen it starting out in Apology 12, but also very much over and over again as we talked about love and the fulfilling of the law in Article 5. A couple of months ago, ex opere operato is one of the big things that has come about as the linchpin between that divides. So I guess not a linchpin, but a wedge that divides Rome and Wittenberg is that we don't do things just because God tells us to. We do things to glorify him, which is what the sacrifices were meant to do, not only to bring about the forgiveness of sins through its foreshadowing of Jesus's sacrifice, but also for us to glorify God and give thanks to him. And that is exactly what God wants. God desires sacrifices of thanksgiving from hearts that have been cleansed from their sins. And this is what he tells us in Psalm 50. He tells us again in 51. He tells us over and over again throughout the Psalms and throughout all of Scripture that it is not just the sacrifices and the mechanical working of them. It is the thanksgiving in the heart of the one who has been cleansed by the sacrifice of Jesus. That is the one thing that we need. And then he ends the psalm by reminding us that ever since the fall, man has always sought to make God into our image instead of reveling that we are made in his image. We don't want that. We want God to be like us. And we think 
that God is like us. And unfortunately, we have those times where tragedy strikes. And one of the first things out of a lot of people's mouths is, my God, well, my God would not do that. Your God shouldn't do it. And we think, okay, you say that your God is the same as my God, but if they are completely different, because God does bring calamity upon his peoples at times, sometimes for their own sin, sometimes for the greater sin that is brought about by the nation. Because as you see through the destruction of Samaria, as we're looking at in the Majoring in the Minors videos on Facebook, you see that there might not have been everybody who was completely following along with the sins of Jeroboam the first and all of the other kings that follow after him. There might have been a remnant of those who were faithful, but they get the same thing. Samaria is not spared because of the minority of the righteous. They are overthrown because of the wickedness that has been allowed to come up upon them. And unfortunately, that's the way God works with every nation, is that, yes, Samaria fell to Assyria, Assyria fell to Babylon, Babylon fell to Persia, and on and on and on throughout all of history. We continue on with the idea that God is still in control, and that is what we should praise him for, and that he is coming in judgment, and that judgment may not always be good. And we see this again as we go into Psalm 51 and superscription, one of the great superscriptions in all of the Psalms, because we have the exact moment. We can go exactly where this happens. Psalm 51 to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan, the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So now we have, this is the psalm that came about because of David's sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. We have the sin in 11, we have the repentance in 12. So we have this psalm being written right there, right at that time, as he has heard his sins being forgiven. So let's quickly go through this psalm, which is one that we hear every Ash Wednesday so that we remember and embrace our sinfulness, not in a way that we celebrate it, but in a way that we mourn it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice." Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So far, Psalm 51. Now we have this great and wonderful psalm. Again, that we hear every Ash Wednesday, but also whenever we go through Divine Service 3 and Lutheran Service Book, the Offertory, are those words, Create in me a clean heart, O God. But why is our heart dirty? Why does it need to be cleansed? Well, because we are all troubled by the blood guiltiness of our sins. We start off with David's desire to have his transgressions blotted out. Before the invention of erasers and the backspace and delete keys, any mistakes had to be blotted out with ink. In God's eyes, that ink is the blood of his son, which covers all the sins of all those who are found in the book of life. In that book, your name is written in his blood. The book of judgment that is also opened up in Revelation 20, everything that you have done through your baptism has been blotted out by the blood of Jesus. Verse 4 is one of those great verses. Against you, you only have I sinned. There's a great meme that goes around on Facebook once in a while. You know, Our sins are primarily against God, but also we sin against each other as well. So you have David singing, Against you, you only have I sinned. And you have David and Bathsheba in that meme in the next picture looking at him like, wait a minute, you sinned against us too. Because yes, we do sin against other people, but primarily our sins are against God and his word. Then we get to verse 5. And this is one of the most powerful verses, but also one of the most mutilated verses in all of the Psalms. Because many people don't want to see the doctrine of original sin spelled out here so clearly. They want to take it and either twist it around or they want to just deny it out of hand because it's poetry. So it can't be meant like it says. In sin did my mother conceive me. In wickedness did she bring me forth. That's original sin right there. You cannot say that David is only talking about himself, that there is something in his parents' past, especially his mother's past, that brought him along that is sinful. You also can't say that he is writing this entire psalm from the perspective of his son with Bathsheba who dies at seven days old. You can't do it. Take the words literally. In sin did my mother conceive me. Just the same as your mother conceived you in sin. Not that the conception happened in some necessarily sinful way, but again, sin is passed down from one generation to the next. And that is original sin right there. All right, verse 7, we have hyssop being brought in to wash us, to cleanse us. 
Hyssop was used to apply the blood of the Passover lamb to the doorpost of the house in Exodus 12. The drinks offered to Jesus during his crucifixion were delivered to him on a hyssop branch. You can find that in Matthew 27, 34 and John 19, 29. Hyssop is one of those great plants that is used for cleansing and for healing and is a very great picture of what God does for us when he forgives us our sins. And we have in verses 10 through 12 that great offertory, Create me a clean heart, O God, which is not only in Divine Service 3 and Lutheran Service Book, but was in the common service of the Lutheran Hymnal of 1941 and earlier hymnals. It is a very succinct confession, knowing that absolution is available, just like David received it from Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 13. And so after your heart has been cleansed, after it has been judged and deemed righteous in God's eyes through the blood of the Lamb, what does the absolved Christian do? Well, verse 13, I will teach transgressors your ways and your and sinners will return to you. The absolved Christian goes out praising God for his absolution and wanting to share it with everyone, making sure that they know that absolution is available for them as well. Then we have another great line of the psalm that is well known. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. It's the opening line of the Matins and Vespers daily offices that remind us that it is God who opens our mouths so that we might sing his praise. Because that is what God wants. He doesn't want the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves and all of that. Yes, he did require that of Israel to point towards Jesus. But what he really and truly wants is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, a heart that is truly repentant. Just as we're talking about in the confessional corner in Apology 12, Somebody who is truly contrite with the terrors of conscience weighing on them so that they might receive forgiveness. Not to be puffed up in the way they do things and wondering if they got away with it. No, they will not get away with it. But we can say with our broken spirit, our broken and contrite heart, that we have been judged because that's what breaks us. God's judgment breaks us in the law. But then the wonderful words of the gospel come and bind us up by creating in us a clean heart, renewing a right spirit within us so that we may rejoice in him. So we do ask God in these psalms to judge our cleansed hearts. Not to see us be broken down even more and left to our own devices, but broken down and built back up by the one who created us in the first place. The one who has loved us through it all. The one who truly wants to be with us forever. All right, that's it for this week. Next week, we will get into Psalms 52 through, I believe, 55, that we see more as we 
get into shorter psalms, but still the meat is there to chew on for a little while and let us think about and praise God for the great blessings that he gives us through these wonderful words. But until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for being here and digging deeper with me. I ask you to come back for the Confessional Corner on Monday. Listen to the moments of meditation every day so that you might see the wonderful working of God in you. Amen.